So we are in the middle of our Awaken weekend. <laughs> you can tell for those of us who you stand near and they smell really bad. Okay, those are the ones that uh, uh, have not gotten good showers like, like most of us here. Um, I came up last night and a, and a few, especially the praise team came up last night so they could be prepared for this morning. But I want to, I want to just say I'm so absolutely thankful for all of the young people that went down there. And, and yes, I'm including the older people because we're young too. I mean, any, anybody crazy enough to go do what we did, then you're, you're, you could be called a young person. <laughs> but I want to tell you, Two stories about this. First of all, I, and I, I, I hesitate saying this because those of you who, who didn't come to Awaken, I don't want you to say, see, that's why I didn't go. <laughs> but we get down there the first day, and the, this, the setup crew gets down there. There were about ten of us. Okay, and it's, you know, kind of raining. The, the clouds, these insane clouds, right, just the whole way down. And we're down there, and it's just, everything's black up in the air. <laughs> And, and we're thinking, Lord, just, just hold this off long enough for us to get the, the camp set up, right? And we did. We got everything set up. It did not rain at all. In, in fact, Michael is looking at his phone and watching everything coming, and it comes and it kind of splits around us. And we're like, this is awesome. Reminded me of creation about five years ago, right? And, and so, so he, he, he keeps the rain away, <laughs> and we get it set up, and we go inside, and one thing you have to understand about Awaken is it's, you know, it's at the beach. You know, we're, I don't know how far away from the actual beach we are, I'm going to say maybe 10 miles or whatever it is, but it's sand where we are, basically. It's got enough soil to grow some grass, but it's basically this very sandy soil, so so when you put stakes in the ground to stake down a tent, it isn't quite the same as doing it at creation. Creation, you put a stake down, and it's like you got to work to get it back out. It's, it's at awake, and you're just like, come on. You don't even have to touch it, and it'll come out. Well, all of a sudden, the monsoon hits. Okay, it, I, I think Beth and, and Max and maybe a couple other people put this on Facebook, but it came down like buckets. I mean, I, I think, I can't remember who made the comment. Somebody made a comment that, that literally angels were just pouring. Just pouring, just pouring. It was coming down. It was, it was insane how much it was coming down. And that wasn't bad. I mean, we weren't getting wet. We were in this big tent. It was awesome. But then the winds came. Right? And they came hard. And all of a sudden, somebody looks out the tent, and all of our little tents, we set up five little tents, and all the little tents are leveled. I mean, they're just mangled and leveled. And, okay, they're gone. They're seriously gone. And, and so we're just thinking, oh, no, where, where are we going to sleep? What are we going to do? Then all of a sudden, on this side of the tent, the big posts start lifting up off the ground and coming in, and, and we're like, Oh, and I can't remember, I think it might have been Lauren or somebody grabs the first, first pole and just kind of, help! I mean, if you know Lauren, okay, she's, she's not a tall person, and she's holding this pole up like, 
okay, I really need some help here. So we go outside, and, and all of the posts on the one side are just, I mean, everything's just coming out. So we're outside now. Okay, we're not even inside anymore. We're outside holding these poles. The wind is blowing against us. We're literally holding the tent up. And, and by the way, it's a big tent. It's, it's way, I'm, I'm going to say about as wide as this room, maybe a little wider. And it goes from, from here to not quite to the door, but I, I would say to the end of the stairs. Okay, it's, it's a big tent. And we're out there holding these poles and, and here comes the lightning all around us. And I mean, it was close. It's like light bang. Okay, I didn't even have, count, have time to count for that one. That, that was really close. And we're holding metal poles. And, I, and I'm sitting here, I'm holding this, and I'm thinking, Lord, this is not the smartest thing we've ever done. We're holding metal poles in a monsoon with heavy lightning. God, I just pray that lightning's from you. That's all I could pray. And, and I remember at one point where, where we couldn't even let the poles go to try and get more stakes in. It, it was like, we're literally just, what do we do? What do we do? We're holding this, and I just remember saying, Lord, we need your help. And then somebody had the bright idea. I don't know if it was Corey or who, but somebody had the bright idea Hey, let's tie these off to this big red truck here. That was Michael. Okay. Thank the Lord for Michael. Although if it would have ruined my truck. I'm just saying this would be a different story right now. No, but so we, so we, we work on getting it tied off to the truck and it, it was just, I hope somebody took a picture because it was the most insane thing. Here you've got this big old huge green tent and all these orange straps going to this red truck. You know, and, but it, but it stabilized it. We kept it up. Um, we ended up having a few inches of water literally in the big tent because it doesn't have a floor in it. <laughs> the other tents were gone. They, I mean, they were like a pool. As a matter of fact, I think somebody took video of people playing and splashing in it later. <laughs> and, uh, um, but the nice thing about sand is literally, I think, two hours after it was over, the water was totally gone in, in the tent. So it may come heavy, but it drains quick. That's the nice thing about sand. But we did learn that 18-inch spikes are not enough for Awaken. We need 30-inch spikes. <laughs> and we need a lot of them. So we, we will be more prepared. But but we did get it all stabilized. We We went ahead and added... In some cases, one or two more straps per pole. So each strap had three or four straps, or each pole, three or four straps, and it, it really stabilized it. But, but what an amazing story, because, and, and here's the kicker of it. Nobody wanted to leave. Nobody wanted to go home. Looking at their tents, thinking, where in the world are we going to sleep? Nobody even asked. Nobody said, what do we do now? Nobody said, well, I guess this weekend's over. No, everybody just said, that was awesome. okay, <laughs> got some good video of that. You know, glad I didn't fly away. Like, like uh, five or six years ago at creation, we had, we had this, uh, this, it was like a carport thing. 
And we had just gotten it set up and these winds came. It was insane. We hadn't got it staked down yet. And it started, one tent flies and it flew 50 yards. I mean, literally in the air, 50 yards. And then, and then all of a sudden this carport, which was pretty big, it was eight posts, starts to fly up and, and I see this, this guy who, who used to be in our band, Mark Vigiano, he goes, he grabs one, then Stephen goes and grabs one, then everybody gets on a pole and we're all holding on to this pole and literally the carport is lifting Mark Vigiano up out of, in the air. He's like, like this. It, it was, it was so funny, and that was setup crew, and nobody wanted to leave. Nobody. Why? Because when God gives you the strength to deal with whatever the enemy is going to throw at you, it gives you confidence. It gives you that precision, that very precision that is needed to kick that snake right in the head. Like what we said earlier, right? So it was awesome. But I, I have one other story about Awaken that is not yet over with. But we haven't been down there the last two years. The first year was hurricane, and although that would have really been fun. I bet you everybody would have stayed, right? Although those winds would have been a little tougher. <laughs> it felt like that anyways. So we haven't been down uh, to this campground in a couple of years, but going back this year, um, uh, the the owners there, it's a ministry, so they're really not the owners, but they lead the ministry. It's, it's Joe and his wife, Linda. Um, she comes up to me yesterday, and I, I told Beth and Corey this story, but I wanted to share it with everybody else. She comes up to me and she said, I have a story for you. And, and they're Christians. This is a Christian camp. It's, it's like a, where you go camping, but it's, it's all Christian based. Um, she said, I have a story for you. And I said, what's that? And she comes and she, she grabs my hand and she's holding my hand. And, and I'm thinking, okay, this is, this is something really important to her. Cause I mean, I didn't know her real well. I've known her from being, I know her husband way better cause he's the one that puts up with us. But, uh, but she comes up to me and she tells me, she said, two years ago, I had stage four ovarian cancer. And they didn't give a lot of hope for that. And she said, I went into the doctor and I said, she said, my response to him was, whether God heals me here or heals me there, I'm going to be healed. So why are you stressed about this? She goes in for surgery and comes back out and was, was good. They got it all. Okay. I don't even know what that means, but they got it all. She said then last year, just in this past year, she said, I ended up with stage four lung cancer. She went in this time and they gave her very little hope because of how it had spread. They, I don't know if they took one lung or a major part of one lung or whatever, but they, they took it out in the surgery. But before the surgery, she said the same thing and it was two doctors specifically and, and she said, I just I feel the need to pray for you 
because you seem stressed out about this. She's saying this to the doctors. She said, I'm not stressed. She said, do you remember what he did last year? Do you think he can't do that again? And so they went in for the surgery and came back out. And, and, and I think this was, this was, must have been about a year ago because they felt they got everything. And then she had to go in for checkups. And she said that she had just gone in for, for a checkup that was, I, I'm assuming it was about six months later. She went in for this checkup and First of all, both doctors got saved. Okay? This is a lady who is supposed to be gone. She's supposed to be dead. Both doctors get saved, but she goes back in for, for I think what was her six month checkup and, and she says, um, apparently they keep all the tissue that they take out. I didn't even know that. But, but they keep it, um, uh, even from the surgery before, they had all that because they couldn't find anything in her body, any cancer in her body. And so what they do, I guess, is they go back to the old tissue and they match it up or I don't know what they do. Nurses would know. You doctors would know. But they, they went back to the old tissue in the lung one, didn't find anything. Then they went to the old tissue in the first surgery, didn't find anything. There was no cancer found, period, in everything that was taken out. And the doctors were stunned and they're telling her that and, and, and she, she's like, why does that surprise you? <laughs> she said, when, when they healed my body, that was part of my body. It may not be in me anymore, but it was part of my body. Why are you so surprised? So she's standing in front of me. You'd never know that she went through two different stage four cancers. And it was the part that she said next. I don't even know, Beth, if I could say it. It just wrecked me. Because she said, we've missed you guys. She said, I want you to know, when you came for the first time, I think it was five or six years ago, she said, I said to Joe, her husband, she said, we're supposed to be like that. We're supposed to be like those young people that will give up anything for God. We're supposed to be like that. We're supposed to, to not look behind like we talked about last week, but look ahead. We're supposed to keep our eyes so focused that this life does not have the clarity outside of what God has for us in our relationship with Him. It wrecked me, guys. Because, see, we just went there to have fun. We just went there to worship and be with God. And, and I remember the first year we were there, and you want to talk about a horrible year. <laughs> they put us down in this swamp area because that was all they had left. And you think the bugs were bad this year? Some of you people that said you got bit, I think Lauren got bit on the lip. See, I consider that affectionate. Okay, but the bugs were really bad this, this first year. And, and Josh is here, yes, they were. Because 
As a matter of fact, that is where Josh and Shannon met for the first time. Josh was one of those bugs. <laughs> no, but... But... They did finally move us up there, up from there. But they, they just, it, and they knew how bad it was down there. And, and, and I remember her saying, or Joe saying even that year, he said, he said, man, you guys have the best, your kids have the best attitude. Cause I, I know what they're dealing with. <laughs> Luckily, after that year, they moved us up in the field. Um, cause we didn't care about being near trees. In fact, trees, trees equals bugs. Swamp equals bugs. Okay, we had the pool. Pool was right next to us. So, anyways, I, I wanted to tell you that story because understand that your testimony shouts loudly either way, whether you realize it or not, whether you make it shout or not, it shouts. It shouts when you're excited for Jesus Christ, but by the way, it shouts when you're down in the mouth. It shouts when you have this negative attitude about life in general. It shouts. You're better off not telling anybody you're a Christian if you're going to live without joy. It drives me insane. Those who live without joy, and then it's, it's some martyr thing to say, I'm a Christian, I live for Christ, He lives in me. Okay, no, you're sealed. He's definitely not living in you. Because if the Holy Spirit were doing anything more than sealing who you are, you would not have this attitude that you have. That's a tough word, but you're welcome. <laughs> so this morning at 6.30 in the morning, the Lord wakes me up. And he just said, Amos chapter 2. <laughs> I'm thinking, okay, I, I know the Word of God. I love the Word of God. But Amos is one of those books. The first thing that came to my mind were cookies. <laughs> Anybody know the famous Amos cookies? Okay, I, I, those are awesome cookies, by the way. So, so Amos chapter 2, and I'm thinking cookies, and it, I want you to read it. Because he hadn't told me yet what this morning was going to be about. And he said, I want you to read it. And then I get a text from this guy who, I don't even know who he is. Um, I know he lives in Dover. I've, I guess I met him once because I gave him my phone number. Um, I think I met him down in the D.C. thing when we were down in D.C. But he literally texts me a verse every Sunday morning. And then just, you know, praying for you and, you know, whatever. And this morning, I get a text after the Lord tells me, read Amos chapter 2. Literally, I want to say five minutes later, I get a text from this guy. And it says, Amos 9, and I want to say it was verse 17, I can't remember. And I'm like, okay, that's not a coincidence. So I start going through there, and I, Lord, what do you want? What, what thought process do you want to put in my mind? What, what do you want shared with these precious people? What do you want declared? And he began to put that into my mind. And, and, and the first thing that I want to share with you is a caveat of 
because Amos is talking, uh, it's prophetic about the children of Israel. Okay, and so many people, it, it just is, is really unfortunate. So many theologians will discount the Old Testament because, well, that, that's for Israel. But I'm here to tell you, it is, yes, it is for Israel, but it's for us as well. And, and so before we get into Amos, I want you to ch- turn to Romans chapter 11. And we're just going to read a single verse here. But it is going to give you the crossover of when we get into Amos. Verse 11 of Romans chapter 11 says this. So I ask, did they stumble? And by the way, by the way, Paul is talking about the children of Israel here and how they they negated believing that Jesus was the Messiah and how they failed to live up to the law and all of that. He says, so I ask, did they stumble the Jews in order that they might fall? By no means. But literally, rather through their transgressions or trespasses, salvation has come to the Gentiles. It talks about how the Gentiles were grafted in. We were included in the promise. The promise of the land? No, don't confuse the promises of Israel that were there, that will remain there, that will be completed. Don't confuse those with what it's talking about here. It's talking about salvation. It's talking about becoming a child of God. See, prior to Jesus Christ dying on the cross, you could not become a child of God without becoming a Jewish believer and offering the same sacrifices. But he said, from their trespass, which was not receiving their Messiah, the Gentiles were grafted in. We were offered salvation. That, Paul says, was the great mystery that he had the honor of revealing. That we were grafted into this. But it's the last part of this verse I want you to notice. Because it's going to get into why we're in the book of Amos. It says here, salvation has come to the Gentiles, what? So as to make Israel jealous. So as to make Israel jealous. By the way, you notice Israel isn't jealous yet. Why? Because the bride's doing a pretty poor job. The bride can't even make the world jealous. Let alone Israel, who are God's chosen people, jealous. Now I want you to turn to Amos chapter 2. I'm going to start in verse 4. And I want you to recognize something. What Amos is talking about here is judgment on Israel. You're going to see on, back then it was a northern kingdom, southern kingdom, it was Judah and Israel. 
in terms of what we think of, think of them together, even though they were separated as a kingdom, both together made up the 12 tribes, okay, even though they, they had this civil war going on. But, but what Amos is talking about in this judgment against Israel and Judah, I want you to apply to the bride. Because it's the same thing. It's where we are at as a bride right now. And what I mean by the bride is the overall encompassing bride, right? The overall church. Let's start in verse 4. Thus says the Lord, For three transgressions of Judah and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. Because they have rejected the law of the Lord and have not kept his statutes, but their lies have led them astray. Those after which their fathers walked. So I will send a fire upon Judah and it shall devour the strongholds of Jerusalem. Verse six. Thus says the Lord, and this is regarding Israel. For three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because they sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. Those who trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth and turn aside the way of the afflicted. You know, I got, I got to stop here for a second. I, I thought he might want me to do this a little bit later, but he wants me to do it now. Father, I ask permission to enter your court. I know that you have desired this to be a statement in your court. So I simply ask permission, Father. And I ask this in Jesus' name and by the power of his blood. I want to make a point here, and that's why I did this now. For three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because they sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. Do you understand what that is? That is class warfare. That is where the rich don't care and take care of the poor, and there becomes this great divide, right? That has been happening in this world for a long time. It's been happening in this country for a long time. And see, God's punishment, as it happened to Israel, God's punishment was going to come down on them for not taking care of those who could not take care of themselves. How much more will that happen to the bride who is grafted in? But understand these things here as you, as you read what he's saying, understand that these apply to us today. Those who trample, verse 7, those who trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth and turn aside the way of the afflicted. A man and his father go into the same girl so that my holy name is profaned. They lay themselves down beside every altar on garments taken in pledge. And in the house of their God, they drink the wine of those who have been fined. 
In other words, their worship is not for God. Their worship is for other gods. Don't, don't myopic, myopically assume, well, that, you know, that doesn't have to do with us because we worship God. See, in reality, you worship what you give control to. It talks about how we cannot serve two masters. You ever wonder why he actually points out who the other one was? He didn't say, you can't serve two masters. You can't serve God and Satan. It's not what he said. He said, you cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve God and money. Okay? You can, you can put money in with anything else. You cannot serve God or your girlfriend or boyfriend. You cannot serve God and serve your husband or your wife. You cannot serve God and serve your children. Do you understand? Even the good things we can put before the Lord. It's not just the things that are obvious with Satan. Satan's way too sneaky for that. He reserves that for those who are sold out to him and know it's him. The very one I gave the warning to. She is one of those. That's why she heard me. Verse 9. Yet it was I who destroyed the Amorite before them, whose height was like the height of the cedars, and who was as strong as the oaks. Now, God is beginning to give his, his resume of how he had helped them. I destroyed his fruit above and his roots beneath. In other words, it wasn't just him that was destroyed. It, it was the very thing that produced him. Also, it was I who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And led you forty years in the wilderness to possess the land of the Amorite. And I raised up some of your sons for prophets and some of your young men for Nazarites. It is not indeed so, O people of Israel. Or is it not indeed so? He's saying, you tell me if I'm lying. Because this is absolute truth. Verse 12, but you made the Nazarites drink wine. Now, if you're unfamiliar, that is one of the things they were not allowed to touch. When you take a Nazarite vow. So you made the Nazarites drink wine and commanded the prophets saying, you shall not prophesy. Behold, I will press you down in your place as a cart full of sheaves pressed down. Flight shall perish from the swift, and the strong shall not retain his strength, nor shall the mighty save his life. He who handles the bow shall not stand, and he who is swift of foot shall not save himself. Nor shall he who rides the horse save his life, and he who is stout of heart among the mighty shall flee away naked in that day, declares the Lord. Father, I declare in your court here, Today, right now, that this applies to your bride. That no longer will those of human strength stand. Those who serve the God of money will stand. 
For they will fall. Because their true God will be revealed. And it is not our true true God who we worship. It is our true God who we give our lives to. See, you can go to church and you can sit and you can, you can sing a song or open a hymnal and, and sing along with everybody else and, and put in your time. And, and man, guys, I used to be there. I remember in, in the, the first church, when, once I was married, I remember the first church I was a part of and had any kind of influence over leadership. I, I remember a discussion about when it would end, the, the morning services. And they were very scheduled, very planned, and, and all that. And, and I remember one of the considerations was getting out early enough to be at the restaurants before other people. I mean, I look at that now, and Father, forgive us. And, and I know, I know that seems funny, but, but we do that in our lives. See, God, I, I have this other thing going on that's really important to me. And, and, and so I, I can't get in your word right now, or I can't worship right now, I can't, can't even have a conversation right now, because I'm having a problem with my spouse. I'm having a problem with my girlfriend or boyfriend. And, and I mean, if I don't handle that now, everything is going to fall apart. But do you see, when we put things ahead of God, ahead of Him, it's not that He can't work in our life. It's that He won't. He will choose not to. It's just like the spirit of fear. Everybody in here deals with the spirit of fear. Everybody, bar none. Maybe different people at different levels. But do you understand that the Bible says, first of all, that is a spirit. It's, it's not just a feeling that you deal with. It's a spirit. But oftentimes when we are dealing with that spirit, we give in to that spirit, we give it authority, and then it can wreak havoc in our lives. And, and by the way, I, I don't have a myopic view of what fear is. Fear is a shade of worry. You know, if you have something in your life that you worry about, well, I, I'm worried about having to make my next mortgage payment, which I was there for years. How am I going to do this? And, and you have this worry, you have this dread of what's going to happen. Understand that that's fear. Fear is what produces worry. Worry is when you literally take it out of God's hands where He wants it to be, and you place it in your own life, and you'll say, I'll deal with this. I would make myself feel better if I could just worry about it, because then I keep it on my mind. And Lord, that just keeps me praying for it. Do you see how silly that is? How much more awesome would it be to say, hey Lord, you promised that mortgage payment. 
So I'm going to leave that in your lap. And that's on you. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to deal with the things you've, you put in front of me. That's all. Because see, he said, he said to take on his yoke. And give him ours. Because ours is heavy and his was light. What does that mean? It means what he puts in front of us to do, he will never overwhelm us. If he gave you a home, don't you think he can give you what it takes to pay for it? If he gave you something to do, a ministry or whatever, if he, if he said, go down to awaken, and then all of a sudden these big dark clouds come up, oh man, we better turn around. Do you know, if we would have turned around and we would have canceled everything, or, or if I would have been smart enough to actually look at the weather ahead of time, <laughs> and, and we turned around and came back, do you know what we would have missed? We would have missed Linda's testimony. We would have missed the unity that came together to keep Lauren from flying away. Because <laughs> she wasn't about to let go of that post. Right? There's unity that was produced in that. When you go headlong into the storm, you don't have to be afraid of it. You can fight it if it's the Lord's strength. If there is that precision in your walk, when that snake is coming after you and you know you can't run, oh Lord, give me good aim. I, I, it was wild, I'm telling you. Now, obviously it was a dream, I get it. But when I kicked him, I mean, the guy kicked him and it, it went about 20 yards. I kicked him and it, it, was, it was like the most awesome field goal. <laughs> Except about 200 yard field goal. It was just boom. Like a little helicopter flipping out. And then I woke up. But do you, do you see, guys? Do you see, you don't have to be afraid of what's coming at you. You just have to recognize the precision of relationship the Lord wants you to have. And, and that's not anything that I did. I just gave him me. That's all I had to give. That's all you have to give, is give him you. By the way, that's all he wants. He could care less about your stuff. He'd give you, if, if that tent did go flying, I mean, we'd grab Lauren, of course, but if that tent did go flying, you don't think he could replace that? You don't think he could replace those little tents that, that were, we, they actually didn't break, they bent. But yeah, I mean, you don't think he could replace those? He's been telling us for years that we need to upgrade to the army tents for the sleeping anyways. Yes. But you don't think he could provide that? Of course he can. You don't think he could provide your mortgage? Yeah, he could provide for you a new house. He could provide anything for you. Do you understand? It's extraordinary what happens when you just give your life to Jesus Christ. Not in salvation, not in justification, because that's just a single step. That is a qualifier. Now, yes, something huge happens with it. You get this golden ticket. 
that allows you to go to heaven for eternity. Right? But that's all that you get in that. Except opportunity. You get this ticket to heaven, but then you get opportunity to grow your relationship with Jesus Christ. Why? Because like any good investor, they expect a return on their investment. Why should God be any different? God invested His Son. God invested His Son. He sent His only Son to die to change, literally change the relationship that He and His Son had. Forever. Not for temporary. Forever. But He made that investment because He wants you. He wants you. He wants you. He wants you. And you. <laughs> Wouldn't it scan the whole thing? He wants relationship with us. That's why He invested His Son. That's why Jesus Christ invested His life. Gave His life. It was so we could learn that in this life, when I live by faith, I can walk by faith knowing I'm hand in hand with Jesus Christ. And it doesn't matter what comes at me. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if I have difficulty in my house. Difficulty with my, my husband or my wife or my children or, or mom and dad. It doesn't matter. Why? Because I have this relationship with Jesus Christ that takes me through this. And has something for me to learn through it. But floods the grace. Floods the grace. See, so what was being prophesied over Israel in chapter 9, I mean in, in chapter 2, is also applied to the bride today. He's saying, it's time now. Let's go back. What he said, what he said to Israel here. And, and he said it, said it for both. For three, transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not. In other words, he said, you have done this time and time again. I will not stop my punishment now. I will not pull it back any longer. Why? Because I love you. It's like a parent. When a child keeps doing something they're not supposed to do. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Eventually that parent is going to step in and show them the consequences of doing that. I mean, if they're a good parent. Because those consequences are what teach love. The father stepping in with these consequences on Israel and Judah was because he loved them. And this is what he's doing right now with the bride because he loves the bride. And he has an expectation of his investment to yield fruit. To yield what his expectation was when he invested his son. And that's the line being drawn in the sand for the bride right now. That's the line. And it's being drawn for each of us, 
Not just the bride collectively as a whole. But it's being drawn for each of us. Difference is, the consequences aren't going to be pushed off anymore. I speak to those churches that are run by a budget, that are run by money, that are run by a program, that are run by a good marketing plan. I speak to those churches now that if you do not make changes and place the authority where it should be, and that is through Jesus Christ and the faith that goes with that, your church will dissolve. I don't care how big it is. I don't care how big it is. Some of the biggest churches in the world you will see dissolved. Because it's time. It's time. And I didn't know if the Lord would want me to share this. I know it's late, but... Tough. Last Sunday night... Well, let me back up a little bit. And, and I know this may not make sense to some, but that's okay. It, 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 at the very least, it'll let you know where my crazy brain is. Okay. I speak mostly for those people online regarding that, but the Lord had placed ignition and me specifically had been for Reasons at the time I did not understand had given me authority to go after this principality that I didn't even know who it was. He had taught me how to do that twice before. And again, I can't even say at the time, I do now, but at the time, I even understood what that meant. I just knew I, that you only go against something like that when you're told to do it because then you're given authority. And he had done that twice before. And in both of those times, his outcome was achieved. So when he told me to go against this one, at the time I didn't really know what it, what it would mean or anything else. This was, I'm going to guess, two, two years ago, something like that, when, when, when I was first told to do this. But over the course of of the next following months, he began to show me who this was. And you hear us talk about the destroyer all the time, right? Okay. And that's who I'm talking about. But this, this was a specific principality. It wasn't, it wasn't a generic title. You know, we, we call Satan the destroyer, right? He, he goes about the earth to destroy and seek and seek whom he can devour. But this was specific, and, and there came a point where I was asking the Lord who it was. And he told me to turn to Revelation chapter 9, verse 11, and I've shared this with, with uh, I think, the church before, or at least most, many of you. He told me to go to Revelation chapter 9, verse 11, and, and he said, that is who you're dealing with. And I said, well, how is that possible? Because he came up from the, the abyss in, in chapter 9, verse 11. And he said, that's because he is not there yet, and he needs to be. 
to fulfill that prophecy. So God began to teach me and a group of us what this meant and what it meant to fight. He started to bring this church around this this idea of fighting this destroyer whose name was Abaddon. And and again, you've heard many stories about this, and, and, and I could go on forever about some of those stories. But there came a point, I'm going to say maybe a year ago, I can't remember, my sister Melissa might remember better than me or my father, where the Lord, I kept asking him why, 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 why? Why me? Why us? Because, see, there's always a reason. And, and, and I'm stating this because I know that this is difficult for those to believe that yeah, I, I get it. I, I'm, not, I'm not honestly trying to get you to believe today. And that's fine. That's totally fine. You will believe, though, when you see the outcome. And that's why the Lord wants me to state this. So I was asking him, why, why me, why ignition? And he told me to research my ancestry, but he was really specific. He said specifically on my grandmother's side and through, I can't remember if he said the name Nanny, because that's what I called her, but, but he said my grandmother's mother, which the Nanny. She's, she's the one I remembered before she died. I, I was born. I was a, well, no, she died when I was in high school, I think. But anyways, whatever. So to research that, well, praise God for my dad and my sister because I'm, I don't, I'm not a researcher in that way. And so they took on that task and, and went through the process and, and come to find out, oh my goodness, wow, nine generations back, there was this, this, Guy in our, in my, my bloodline that was born in Newcastle, Delaware. Now back then, Newcastle was a, you know, it wasn't, um, like we have cities and stuff like that. Newark wasn't even a town at this point. Um, in fact, Delaware wasn't even fully a state. Okay. It was, it was all part of the, the Welsh tract and, and William Penn coming over. But, but he, he was born right here in the city of Newcastle. And, and so we began researching more and more and more. And, and the Lord just kept telling us there's authority because there's a connection between my bloodline and the destroyer, this Abaddon, that would take authority over nations. And he would receive authority to literally control those nations. So there was authority somehow in my bloodline. Not only that, but there was a connection, and, and this, uh, I don't, I won't dovetail into this story, but, but at this point, but there was a connection between me and Carson. Okay? Didn't know where it was, but the Lord told me there was a connection. And He's starting to tell us to research this stuff. And start pulling out all these historical records. Not, not just stuff out of the blue like, oh, well, I think, I kind of feel this is it. So, okay, fact. No, it, it wasn't that. 
Okay, when he said to go to my 10th generation back grandfather, that, that's a real person. When, when, when he said, you know, look at, at where he is, and, and my sister looked up in land that he had, and, and one of the pieces of land is about a mile from where I live right now. Okay, a church that he was a part of, that in, in all probability he helped build because he was a woodworker, still stands. One of the oldest churches still standing in the United States. It's over off 896 on, on uh, Welsh Track Road. And literally 10 minutes from here. You could go there and see it. You could go there and walk, and, and don't, by the way. Please, a, a warning, do not go there. Because there are things still there that you don't want to invite into your life. But my point in saying this is my grandfather, 300 years ago, lived here and helped start this church. And then another one about 15 minutes from that. So we're, we're pulling all this information. And, and to make a long story short, he laid out the entire process of how I was connected to the destroyer, how Carson was connected to the destroyer, how I was connected to Carson, and how the destroyer gained authority that then was connected to us. Insane. Insane. It doesn't even make sense, except that this is stuff you pulled out of history. What he wants me to read is what I took before the court last Sunday night. We were waiting for the last piece of evidence. And the Lord had shown me the last piece of evidence and revealed it to me some three or four weeks before. And the only person I was allowed to talk to about it was my sister. And and so I'm just chomping at the bit. Okay, Lord, when do we get to go? When do we get to go before the court? When do we get to go? And and uh, I'll... I'll I'll not go through all the build-up to that, but last Sunday was that final court case. And I want to read to you what the Lord told me to write down and declare in that courtroom. And Jesus warned me when we... And I, By the way, guys, I know online, I know this is whacked. I get it. I've been around. I'm not stupid. I'm not stupid. I understand how whacked this sounds, but, but please understand something. In a very short time, all this is going to come back. And it's going to be so real to you. So real that you're going to watch this over and over again and say, how in the world did I miss that? So when we went to the court, the Lord had me make some declarations first. And that was mostly so other things could not disrupt or distract. And specifically, that there would be no interruptions. But I'm going to read what I claimed, and there were five points. And all of these, all of these things, historical facts that, that we were presenting before the court. I claim the right 
And this is after the Father allowed me to present. I claim the right and come as the avenger of blood, the Goel Hadam. With this right, I come to avenge a murdered kinsman, and subsequently I have come to redeem the land rights stolen from what would become America due to the process of my kinsman whose life was taken unlawfully. I submit the following events that together gave authority to Abaddon over this country and gave rise to the authority of the brotherhood within America as well as Abaddon's authority over the brotherhood. Each of these events led to the authority that Abaddon has used to bring grievous actions, including mass human sacrifice against your children and against your will for this country. Number one, I submit the marriage of Elizabeth Jean Taylor to James Hamilton. My ancestor, my 10th generation back grandfather, John Davis was a man of honor, but his desire to gain in this life led him to do something that was out of your will. John and his wife had a daughter by the name of Elizabeth Jean. She married a man with the last name of Taylor and had a daughter by the name of Penelope. But she became a widow at a young age. After becoming a widow, she went back to live at home with her parents. It was at this point that John offered and agreed to a marriage between his daughter, Elizabeth, and James Hamilton, the son of Andrew Hamilton. This marriage was agreed upon and consummated. James became the stepfather to Penelope and carried on his father's legacy of taking advantage of widows and orphans. Number two, I submit the murder of Penelope, Elizabeth's daughter. There was a day after James became Elizabeth's husband and Penelope's stepfather where James took Penelope by the hand and led her into the woods. There he killed her with a knife and sacrificed her to his God strictly for the purpose of his gain. It was at this point that James gave complete authority of his life and all that he controlled to Abaddon and recklessly stole the life of my kinsman, Penelope. So you have to understand that Abaddon is no different than what we see in the Old Testament, well, Old and New Testament as Baal. The God Baal. Number three, I submit the signing of a contract for the Grand Masonic Lodge which became the seat of power for the Brotherhood. On July 15th, 1761, there was a meeting where three specific bloodlines were present and all signed a contract that gave further authority to Abaddon. Present were my 10th generation grandfather, John Davis, or Davies, Carson's generational grandfather, Leinhardt Pickle, And finally, James Hamilton, who was the conduit through which Abaddon received his authority through sacrifice. This meeting was the signing of the charter for the Grand Masonic Lodge, which would become a foundation of the authority of the Brotherhood in America. John Leonhard, I'm I'm sorry, John Leonhard and James 
all signed this document, this contract. Once the ceremony was completed, Leonhardt and James shook hands as they were at the head signing table. And then James, John, and a child that was with John left the meeting together. James Hamilton was the governor of Pennsylvania at this time. Keeping in mind this was long before we were a country. This signing took place in the assembly room, and get, get this, this signing of this contract took place in the assembly room of the state house in Philadelphia, which James was in ownership and control of. This assembly room later became the same room where America's Declaration of Independence and its Constitution were both signed. Abaddon was given authority over the land where the state house sat, as well as the brotherhood given authority just before this land was turned over to what would become the seat of power for the United States. Number four. I submit the giving of authority to Abaddon over this country. A couple of months later from that July Date. A couple of months later, in September of 1761, James Hamilton, along with William Allen, his brother-in-law, both historically nasty guys. I added that, by the way, from research. Anyways. They conveyed the land and the building of the state house and surrounding buildings in Philadelphia to the government that would become the United States. If you go up to Philadelphia and you go to the State House, you want to see where the Declaration of Independence was signed, you could take tours of it right now. That's the building that we're talking about here. James Hamilton and his brother-in-law, William Allen, owned the land, owned the buildings, built everything, had control of everything, had authority of everything, before it was given over to the government. That Grand Masonic Lodge the one that became the seat of power in literally the world. It took over power even of those that were in Europe. It was signed in that very room. And by the way, both at different times, both William Allen and James Hamilton were the heads of that Masonic Lodge. So again, a couple of months later in 1761, James Hamilton, along with William Allen, his brother-in-law, conveyed or gave the land to the building of the state house and surrounding buildings in Philadelphia to the government that would become the United States of America. The authority that was given to Abaddon through both the sacrifice of Penelope and the contract for the Masonic Grand Lodge was transferred to the government with the transfer of the land. Again, James Hamilton was the governor of Pennsylvania at the time of transferring the land and state house to the government. Roughly 15 years later, the Declaration of Independence was signed in the very same room that the contract for the Masonic Lodge, Grand Lodge, was signed. Then, just 11 years after that, the Constitution of the United States was signed in the same room, thus giving full authority to Abaddon to influence freely throughout the entire government of the United States. Number five. 
I submit that Abaddon's authority greatly increased through the brotherhood. In 1761, the destroyer acquired authority over what would become the government of the United States. In 1961, 200 years later, the authority of the destroyer was greatly increased when a court case to take the Bible and prayer out of schools was first heard. In 1962, the case was finalized by the Supreme Court led by Chief Justice Earl Warren who was himself a Masonic Grand Master in California. He was a key figure in getting prayer in the, in getting prayer and the Bible out of schools. He was also responsible for a landmark privacy decision a few years later that became the very foundation for legalizing abortion in Roe versus Wade. That decision had let, has led to the greatest string of human sacrifice in all of history. Over 60 million babies sacrificed. All of this is laid at the feet of Abaddon the destroyer. Then I summed up. I said, Father, in the light of all the evidence presented here today, I ask forgiveness for my grandfather, John Davis. Please forgive him for his greed and wanting to sell out the principles you had laid on his heart. I ask forgiveness for each generation after him that this sin has been passed down to. I further request a verdict of guilty be proclaimed for Abaddon, and proclaimed against all that he has done, as the avenger of blood, the Goel Hadam. I claim the right to have Abaddon bound and cast to the abyss. I request all of this in Jesus' name and await your verdict. It took just moments for him to give a verdict of guilty. And then it was academic, binding the destroyer. But I was not allowed to cast him to the abyss yet. I can't tell you why, but I know why. That's why I told them online that they'll see very soon. But see, that night, heaven told us, because I, I, I immediately asked the Lord for more strategy. What, what's the next step? And, and it was kind of like him just putting his hand on my shoulder and saying, it's time to celebrate. You, you don't even understand what just happened. It's time to celebrate. So you need to celebrate. And, and to, to, to my, uh, I don't even, can't think of the word to, it, it wasn't disobedience, but it was, it was me not getting it. So, so we did, we sang one song. Right? In celebration, we sang one song. Woo! <laughs> Yay, God! And, and, I mean, our hearts were in it, but that's all we did. And so Tuesday night, I went before the Lord, and, and I, I, I said, okay, Lord, you, you said, you said celebrate on, on Sunday night, and, and then strategy will be for tomorrow. So Lord, I'm here for the strategy. What's the next step? And he was like, Seriously? <laughs> you, that was celebrating? 
Now, he didn't say it like that. Okay, he's kinder than that. But it was like, no, 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 you don't get it. You need to celebrate. And he spoke to Shannon and he, he, he said, he said, this needs to be declared that heaven will now celebrate dancing in the streets for seven days, feasting for seven nights. And see, he told me that didn't start till Tuesday night because we weren't obedient Sunday night. I think, in, you know how Lord, how Satan intends something for evil, Lord turns it to good. I think it's because he wanted us to start when we could all be here Tuesday night. So see, we find ourselves today on the fifth day. And see, Brooke jumped, jumped way ahead of me at this point. But it's the day of grace. The fifth day. So we celebrate. We celebrate Jesus Christ. We celebrate the Father. We celebrate the fact that He is drawing the line in the sand. And, and I get, I get how crazy it may sound that, that, well, you know, what does this mean that Abaddon's bound and he's gonna be gone and all that? What does that mean? I don't get it. You know, I, 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 I see cupboards. You know, I, I see drapes. I, I see furniture. I, I don't understand all of this, and, and, and I get it. And, and the purpose isn't for you to have to get that. Because God will show that to you. The purpose is when he does, it's going to be a light bulb. Because all this that you heard today is going to come back. So we celebrate. Guess when the celebration's over? Anybody able to add? Tuesday when? See, because it started at night last Tuesday. So that means the seventh or the first day was Wednesday. So the last day of dancing is Tuesday day. That means Tuesday night. The celebration's over. I'm not even going to tell you beyond that. I'm just saying, be here. Be here. I don't even know what that means, but be here. This is not the time to just let the Lord bring something to you. This is to the time to be hungry for Him. Go after Him. Go after Him. Because after that celebration, that's not the last victory, guys. It's, it's barely the beginning. Think about it. If, if there was a principality, if Satan had control of this nation, and yet we're supposed to have a bride become readied all over the globe, the two don't fit. Revelation 3.9 does not fit into the scenario that has been preached for the last hundred years. That we will just go through so much tribulation and it'll get so bad that God will finally come and get us home. It doesn't work. If you believe Revelation 3.9, that the bride will be lifted to the point where the very world will see the favor on the bride of their God then it doesn't work. It's from the bride being lifted up. It's from the bride be given favor 
And, and I, I know we're way over. I'm sorry. But I, I want to say this too. Shame on the pulpits in this country. Shame on the pulpits that will not stand for what's right because it is political to stay out. The separation of God and, and state. Baloney. Baloney. That's not even what our forefathers believed, by the way. And even if they did, it's not correct. No, what they believed is keeping the state out of God's area. Right? And the way it's supposed to be is those who have relationship with Jesus Christ, who love Him, who give their lives to Him, are supposed to be in these positions of leadership. So what did God do? God had to take a man who does not even know his son and work through him just like he did through Cyrus. Look in the Bible. Read Isaiah 45. Get to know who Cyrus was. Cyrus was a pompous guy. He was not one of Israel, you know, God's chosen people. But he literally fought for God's chosen people. And he became a believer. See, I want you to understand something. You may not like Donald Trump. You may not like something that he did 12 years ago. And by the way, shame on him. I get that. You know, let's expose everything we've done for the last 12 years. But he is being used as a Cyrus. Every time he tweets, it drives me insane. People say, oh, if he would just stop tweeting. <laughs> Man, Donald, tweet. Keep tweeting. Because every time he tweets, I see people that come out and literally expose themselves and how they feel, even though they, they don't mean to. You watch. Watch those career politicians that, that literally it's their job to be this. Hello. <laughs> I'm just here to tell you about what is good in the world and what's bad. And, you know, they're so poised and everything else. You know, all of a sudden, Donald Trump tweets about them, calls them fake, calls them little boy, calls them whatever. And then all of a sudden they're not this, they're, they're that. And it exposes who they are. It exposes who they are. And it's going to continue exposing who they are. Donald, if you're listening, if you're watching this, which you probably will be one day, man, keep tweeting, keep tweeting. Because even though he may not know that God is using him in doing this, God is. God is drawing a line in the sand. And there is something about to happen that will rock this nation. That will rock this world. See, Abaddon is bound. But he's not yet cast. There is something that's going to happen. Now, it's, it's not going to happen when he's cast. 
But it will happen and it, it will be a sign of proof. And I've, I've said it before. I'll say it again because the Lord is going to reveal to me the moment that it's going to happen. And he said that I will declare it before it happens. But that Washington Monument, which is the seat of power for where Abaddon sat, it will come down. And it will not be because some airplane flew into it. It will be only attributable to God. Maybe that's an earthquake. I don't know. Maybe it's a tornado. I don't know. A monsoon. (laughs) Maybe we saw a preview of it down at Awaken. I I don't know. But it's going to come down. And there's going to be something revealed in there. I know I've said this before, that there will be a saying revealed, but the Lord told me there's going to be so much more revealed. The very evidence that was presented for him to take control will be on parchment, on paper, in the bottom of that thing. And it will be found. See, recognize God is about to reveal himself and not in a second coming. He's about to reveal himself to those who will receive his revealing. To those who that will, will receive relationship with him. Why? Not so we can have just a bunch of big, exciting, successful churches. It's so we can be one exciting, huge, successful church. And that success is because of relationship with Jesus Christ. So don't be afraid. Try not to be confused. And I get that. But it will be explained if you seek Him. If you seek Him in the intimacy of your life. He will not do anything with, he, he won't hold back anything to you that he's done with me. Right? I just said yes to him. My relationship with him, my conversations with him, that I get to talk to him all the time and hear from him all the time. Do you think that's because I'm special? It's got nothing to do with me. Except that I said yes. That is available to every single person. And not just available to you. That's what he desires. Do you know he, he, he wants to have that same conversation. He can have a conversation with you, Caleb. He can have one with you at the same time he has one with me. You know, he, he can't be just speaking with me and hold on, hold on. I got to go talk to Caleb. No, he can talk to all of us. He is, even right now, to many that are in, in this room, that he's showing visions to, even right now. Just not if I'm correct. I know I'm correct, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> he wants you. He wants you. He wants the distractions gone. Doesn't mean your life changes 180. I mean, in some cases it might. 
So many times he just said, would you just include me in what you're doing? I don't mind if you have that job or that career or that, that whatever you're doing, but, but just include me in it. Just, just be a part, let me be a part of everything that you do. Let me teach you my voice. And have that conversation with you. That's what he wants. Let's pray. Father, we worship you. We praise you. Lord, I thank you for these people. These people are amazing. They're precious. I just sit here for two and a half hours and, and I feel like we'd go all day if it was, if it was you and you were, you wanted it. So Lord, I thank you for them. I pray, Father, that you take these declarations that have been declared in your court, in your chamber, and you strengthen your bride. Strengthen through division, Father. Jesus said when he came, he said, I did not come bringing peace, but I literally am bringing a sword. Or, or he also said in, a, in another one of the Gospels that I'm bringing division. Division of those who would believe and would not believe. He's not talking about accepting Christ as Savior. He's talking about this belief in relationship. This very personal relationship with the Lord. So God, I pray that you open eyes all over this place this morning. Because it begins with repentance. It begins with asking forgiveness for the very things that we put in the way of that relationship. And, and you're, you're such a faithful, awesome God. You don't demand, in building relationship, you don't demand all or nothing. You demand a heart that desires all or nothing. But you gracefully take our hand and teach us what that means. That's why it's a process. Father, I pray over each person here this morning that you go to the next step in that process. That you show them how much you love them and how much you want for them. How much you want in this relationship. How you are so willing to speak to them as I am speaking to them right now. Father, I pray this over everybody here. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Today is Anissa's birthday.